Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Uncle Dad Talks. I'm Uncle Dad, and with me as always is the beautiful, uh, the talented, the extra special, the wonderful, the whatever else you want to say, Mr. Mike Hampton. And that song you just heard was Crowheart by The Realist. Now, Mike, tell them where they can get that song at. They can get that song on soundstripe.com. That's right. And if you've ever heard our show before, we always, always, always uh, talk about Soundstripe before our every single episode. Why? Because Soundstripe is our basically our biggest sponsor. So, you know, go out there, make some stuff. They give you the tools to make stuff. You can just go there. You basically look through a library of music and sound effects, find the music that fits the tone, find the sound effect that is kind of sounds what you need it for license it and boom that's it that easy mike it's that easy it's that easy huh yeah now you're a musician if people don't know that and if you since you are a musician tell me how easy how difficult was it back in 1886 to make an album you had to get two sticks and hit them (laughs) together in the forest to get the right ambience and sound and now you can just go onto a computer and go to soundstripe.com and get a song ready to go ready to go <laughs> just like that so you can basically work on your album in less than two days less than two days and uh, you know what i just want to throw this out there if you do, if anybody out there does do soundtrack soundstripe and use it to make like an ep or an lp i would love if you tagged us in that uh at uncle dad comics or uh, at uh, mike hampton art and we would love to just see what you're creating with the soundstripe stuff and of course always tag at soundstripe as well and um yeah but the one thing i'm forgetting to mention and i don't know why because it's not mike hampton mike's the one who forgets this mm. but uh you can save 10 percent off your first month subscription and what do you what code do you use mike to save that 10 percent off is it uncle dad talks 10. you are correct and confused as always uh yes just put that in checkout and you can get 10 percent off your first month subscription now before we kind of go down the journey we're gonna go mike you got something you want to say to our listeners? Well, thank you, um, listeners. Yeah, we just want to we want to thank a lot of our new listeners who may have started following us after our last interview with uh, John Dalmayan from System of a Down. And uh, thanks to everybody who checked us out and um, welcome aboard. Like we've got a good uh, road ahead of us. A lot of uh, exciting guests coming up including the one we have today right uncle dad you are very correct sir and i think uh yeah if you if you don't know what we're talking about uh or if you just happen to hop on some other way uh our previous episode featured john domain from system of down we talked about his new comic book his comic business uh we briefly touched on politics but hey man if for those who don't know we actually made uh some headlines well, maybe not us directly but we're in those headlines and you can find us on uh, spin magazine we were uh, featured on there yahoo news and a bunch of other news outlets so that's right we want to say a huge thank you and i agree with mike completely we have a beautiful road ahead of us a lot of great stuff happening including today and um yeah and uh if you are listening really quickly it may be like whoa i was listening to the first episodes and it was a little kid talking now it's a grown man talking now let me explain that really fast and this is the only time i'm going to do that just in case you're new and really what it is is baby gabe was the original co-host of the show but he stepped away to be our sound engineer so mike and i always say shout out to baby gabe because he's the man that makes the magic happen or at least fixes our magic right he's the 
Yeah, well, I was going to tell people the real truth is that I went through puberty since we've started the show, but we can go with the other story that you just I think said. I actually like that idea better. <laughs> good call, good call. Um, but now, let's talk about today, and today we are talking about uh, a gentleman who has been a very prominent figure, and I apologize if I'm saying this incorrectly, and if I am, we're going to get corrected in a little bit, um, in very big in Native American, uh, Native American or American Indian studies. Uh, and this gentleman has been around, I, he's basically been helping out the, uh, I don't want to say industry, but what would you say, Mike? The, uh, the culture, the, the culture, there you go. I was like, I don't want to yeah, say industry, the culture. <laughs> the culture industry, the culture industry. Yes. He's been helping out the, uh, the culture for, for decades. And, uh, we have some very interesting and personal ties to this gentleman. And, uh, I am incredibly excited to, uh, to introduce him. He is a five-time author. He is a the, he is a recipient of the KQED Local Hero Award. He has accolade after accolade. He's a professor of San Francisco State University. Uh, he is a very dear friend of my family. And uh, yeah, I guess just without further ado, Mike, who's our guest? Our guest today is uh, Mr. Eddie Madrill. Oh. <laughs> I Hello. think that's the first time we've done an applause. Yeah, yeah, it's just me, but you know, it works. Mm, mm. And uh, as always, we are going to talk to Mr. Eddie Maduro right after this break. So uh, everybody, grab some snacks, kick back, and enjoy this week's episode of Uncle Dad Talks. Hey everyone, Baby Gabe here with a quick ad break before we begin this week's interview. First off, thank you all so much for the support we've received from the very beginning of this podcast. We really appreciate you sticking with us as we have grown and we continue to grow. If you're enjoying the content, please give us a review on whichever podcasting app you are using. It helps us know what we're doing right and what we can do to make things even better for you. A review also puts us in front of more people so we can continue to grow. I'm also working on a few projects myself. While those aren't ready to be announced, in the meantime, I'm currently streaming on Twitch, where you can watch me yell at some worms while playing Worms Rumble or get drunk while playing Fall Guys every Friday. I'm also working on overcoming my fear of the dark by playing horror games like Bendy and the Ink Machine every Sunday. Stop by, say hi, and give a follow over at twitch.tv slash kingkiller underscore azoth. I'm hoping to connect with more people from the Uncle Dad community. You can also find myself and Uncle Dad on Instagram at babygabe underscore udt and at uncledadcomic. We would love to get to know the community better. But in the meantime, I will pass you off back to Uncle Dad and Mike. I'll see you all later. All right, and welcome to the show, Mr. Eddie Madrill. Eddie, thank you for being on the show. Uh, it's quite the honor and pleasure to have somebody of your stature here, so thank you. Oh, oh my goodness. I don't know what you've heard, but thank <laughs> you for having me. And uh, it's a, the, the honor and pleasure is all on this side of the table, so thank you guys for you know uh, inviting me. And, and I think what we're taking a look at is the different terms that a large group of people are called here in the United States of America. You know, a lot of times people will ask, you know, what are we supposed to say or what's the proper term? What's the right term? What's the correct term um, for the people here? You know, is it American Indian? Is it Native American? Is it indigenous? Is it people of Turtle Island? Is it native? Is it Indian? And all of these different terms are all correct and they're all completely incorrect. Um, the reason why I say they're correct, and I represent me when I give this answer, but the reason why I say they're correct is because somebody or a group of people decided to go ahead and classify, categorize, you know, a large group of people in this macro level. So they gave this name American Indian, um, then as Native American, then as indigenous. So all these different terms are given to a large group of people. And throughout time, 
different power roles, different access to power, different access to change happens. So you have one generation of native people here in the United States that say, no, I'm American Indian. You'll have another generation that says, no, I'm Native American. So even within the population itself of native people, that's kind of a, a conflict going back and forth. But from my personal perspective, if you wanted my personal perspective, they're all completely incorrect because they're all in English. And that's not our terms. Those aren't our terms. That's not our language. So why would you go to another country and give them a name for their people in your own language, but not recognize them as their own people? And how would they be called? Be kind of like me coming to your house and calling you whatever I wanted to call you, um, even though you have a name. So, you know, it, it's a longer discussion, um, but my personal perspective only, they're all completely right. But really, <laughs> when it gets down to it, they're all completely wrong. Um, the best thing to do in, in, in addressing a, a group of people from this population is speak from the heart with honesty, not be completely apologetic because it looks fake and, um, you know, do the best you can. I mean, if you were to go to Kenya, you know, you can't just say, oh, you're, you're Kenyan. I mean, there's like 40 different tribes in Kenya, so we can't just assume. So there's so much learning to go on. And, and again, honesty, you know, from your art, heart is probably the best thing you can do in, in any group or situation, even when it comes to you know, uh, urban or suburban demographics, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you do, you do the best you can. Yeah. I think the intention is more about like where, where you're coming from. Like you said, from the heart, what's your intention. And I feel like I would be, I would want to ask these questions, but might be nervous to ask the question just, and I don't even know if that's my own insecurity, but I don't want to offend you by just even asking sure, you sure. the question. Right. I mean, well, you let, let's say you go into, you know, uh, an urban setting, a city, a university, that's a primarily black college, right? There's a black college there. Um, and then you go into the hood, right? Let's say somebody calls it the hood, or let's say it's just our community. I mean, really, they're just all communities. We're all just communities, but we're either given a certain name for that, that those different areas, or we give ourselves a name for that area. So we, you know, we call this section, this district, this, this hood, different things. You're going to, again, have different levels of education. You're going to have different levels of experiences. You're going to have different generational gaps between groups of people that some people are going to say, well, when I was growing up, we were called this. You know, if it was Black, if it was African-American, you know, you have the same thing from Asian communities. Well, yeah, we're Asian, but, you know, my country is this, and our people is this, and my tribe is this. So American Indian people, Native people, I mean, sure, if that's what we need to do in order to be either A, you know, homogenous, you know, kind of like this generalized form of, or a group of people. Or if you just say, hey, where are you from? When you ask a person, where are you from? It's on their side to go ahead and engage how they choose to engage. They can be very personal and say, well, in our way, we first say what our mountains are, what our rivers are, what our old ways are, then all the way back into when finally after I give my clans or I give my, my grandmothers and my grandparents last names and then I give my parents name, then I'm the least significant and all of that, you know, microcosm, you know, that big worldview. This is how I view the world. It's all those things that make me me. So now I will give my name last. After all of my mountains, my rivers, my clans, my ancestors, then I'll say, hi, my name's Eddie. So it really just depends. So if I already come up to say, hey, where are you from? You can say, well, I don't know you. So I'm just going to tell you I'm from this city location. That's it. And you're like, okay, that's, that's the rule, you know? Um, so a lot of times, even within native uh, situations, um, let's say I go to a, a function where there's like a lot of different native folks. The best thing I know to do 
is just to say, hey, where are you from? And they can like kind of, you know, look at you, size you up or see what kind of, you know, person you are, your intentions and just say, hey, you know, I come from, you know, the something, something people from this clan, from this tribe, you know, my name is such and such. Or they can just say, my name is such and such. Or they can say, I'm from Cleveland. <laughs> you know, It's really up to them. That way you're not the one trying to say, I need to know your tribe. I need to know your ethnicity. And that's how I want to engage you because that's going to, you know, prompt how we engage from this point forward. It seems kind of intrusive, really. So that's that's the basics. Yeah, I that's guess. that's that's pretty fascinating because I honestly have never really, and this is the truth, I've never really thought about it like that. And but then to Mike's point, it does kind of make me a little nervous to say, you know, because my my entire life I've always been told to say Native American or American Indian, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and so like it makes me feel like, well, what do I what do I say? With I don't want to like say the inappropriate thing, I guess you know. Sure. So academically speaking, let's say, um, let's say you were a student within the academy, right? What you attend to do in your papers, what I would expect is not for you just to give me your opinion, but to go ahead and say, this is my opinion. This is my perspective based on this knowledge given to me, a book, an author, an article, a film, then you don't, uh, you know, you don't pass the buck, right? You're not just saying, well, according to them, you're saying, this is my belief and here's my backup. And so when you're talking to somebody, you know, you kind of want to engage them by saying, hey, um, you know, I noticed you're wearing this, this jewelry, you know, where are you from? I, mean, I noticed you have long hair in their braids, where are you from? You don't say, hey, I noticed you have turquoise earrings. Are you an Indian? Yeah, that would hey, be pretty bad. I noticed bad. you have braids and you're a male, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, an, you're, you're, you're a male with long braids. Are you an Indian? You know, are you native? Are you, are you American Indian? Why not just say, where are you from? How are you doing? then we're human beings engaging rather than me being the spectacle. And that's where those terms like, I am now the spectacle, I am on display, I am the exhibit. You wanna read the little tab on the corner that says, what tribe are you, what nation are you, how old are you? I mean, that's what we are, we're the, the exhibit with you know, many people, whether we're ethnic people, religious people, or uh, social people, you know, all these different cultures, we become the exhibit, we become the spectacle. You now have a gaze upon me on what what um, categories or what personas I, I might fit rather than just saying, who are you? And you get that kind of information simply by taking a breath, being honest and going, how are you doing? Where are you from? And now I will go ahead and allow, I mean, that's, that's really the best in-depth way of engaging someone the same way as it's been taught to us when you meet somebody, you shake hands. You know, there's a reason why we shake hands. There's a reason why we drive on the right side of the road. It's because of a lot of the cultural upbringings that have been around for hundreds of years that really stem from somewhere. But we're not always thinking about why we're shaking hands. You know, you're like, oh, I'm shaking hands. Well, basically, because you had a sword in the other, you want to make sure that you don't have a dagger in the other, yeah. right? You hear all these yeah. things. And so instead of me probing you, hey, what are you? What are you? What are you? You know, are you an Indian? Are you? Right. Why do that? Just be like, hey, how you doing? Good cool. Where are you from? And if they say I'm from Cincinnati then you go, cool, I'm from San Francisco. Cool. And that's it. That's all they wanted to give you. Leave it alone. <laughs> huh. So that's, very, that, that's, that, that's the best way I can answer that question. So then I guess I'll just ask this then. Where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> right on. Where am I from? Yes. I'll tell you where I'm tell from. Where are you ready for that answer? Hear it. All right. Well, Leo Sanchanyavo, Sialia Tepo, 
Uh, I come from the, uh, the rivers of the Rio Yaqui, the Hiac uh, Vatwe from Sonora, Mexico, what we would call just the Sonora Desert region before it became the United States and Mexico. I come from the villages of Sonora, Mexico, um, you know, our original villages uh, by Hermosillo and Guaymas. I come from our different worlds, the Sewa Anea, um, you know, all the different worlds, the spiritual worlds, the flower worlds that we come from. Um, my people, you know, stem from the Sonora Desert region. My family lives, uh, many of my family members live on the Pascua Yaqui Reservation. We are also known as Yaqui. We are also known as Yoeme, but our traditional way of saying our, our people is Hiyaki. Uh, Hiyaki. Um, I'm urban, so I live in California. I'm not there on the reservation, so many of the times I'm around my family. I'm the outsider, even though I'm an insider, I'm also an outsider. So that's a really interesting dynamic when we recognize that of ourselves in many of the social situations or um, that we engage in. So I'm an insider and outsider. I'm very proud to be, you know, Hiyaki. I'm very proud to be Yaki. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of my family is outside of Tucson on, in our reservation, but I grew up here in California. So I'm Callie, <laughs> I'm Eddie. My name is Eddie and I'm, I'm here and happy to be here with you. Now I have to do this because if I didn't, cause they're gonna listen. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh, you are uh, very important uh, to uh, the Uncle Dad Talk show. And the main reason being is because uh -oh. you are dear friends of my parents. Oh. <laughs> I have to say that this because they're going to kill true. me if I don't that bring it up. <laughs> oh man, they, 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 they don't need to bring it up. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to, to, I'm proud to know, you know, you and your family, um, you know, even though we don't get together, not even once a year. I mean, we, we hardly ever get together, but you know, your family is a, is a great, great, great. And I'm not even saying this because we're on the air. I mean, many people out here in the Bay area, know that I've talked about all of your family so much. And I'm, I'm sure that you're all surprised by me saying that, but um, you know, my upbringing was with your dad, with your, with your, you know, your uncle, yes. you know, your great, you know, your great cousins and things like that. I mean, all of them basically are who raised me when my parents were working, you know, out in the tomato fields the you know, the dads, the aunts, the moms, the, the kids, I mean, all of them. And we, we, I mean, I've known your dad since we were, you know, probably maybe not in diapers, but, you know, fighting over a tricycle, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've known them since we were pff, wobbly, wobbly. We weren't even, like, you know, running. I mean, we were just wobbly. I mean, I have pictures of us. <laughs> so no, they're, they're very dear to my heart because, you know, when, as, as you get older, you, you tend to like leave, you know, you kind of leave the baggage, the things that you're not proud of or that you're ashamed of or you're embarrassed about, you tend to leave that behind and because you want to be something more, you want to be something special if you're, if you're, you know, that's just adolescence, you know, your teenage years, you're into your early twenties, you're like, but I want to be, but I want, and we should have been, and I can't. And so you tend to leave all that. And then when you turn around and look back, you're like, wait, that molded me. That made me what I am, who I am, what I believe in. And, you know, growing up, <laughs> growing up with your dad and your uncle, uh, you know, I was the skinny kid, man. And um, I love them, but boy, you know, they're like, Hey, let's go play tackle football. And I'd get beat up and they're just looking, you're they're looking down at me like, just breathe and take it like a man. I'm like, okay. And so, you know, here I am, you know, 45 years later going, 
I could take it like a man, <laughs> whatever that whatever means. means. Right, right, right. <laughs> whatever that means. You know, I don't know what that means. I just, you know, they mean, you know, be a survivor. You know, there's so many different ways sure. of saying it. But, you know, when you're when you're five, seven, ten years old, you're just saying whatever you heard in a movie. Take it like a man. Right. I don't know. What the heck does that mean? Right. I can't breathe here, man. You just, you're in high school. I'm in elementary school and you smashed me. <laughs> what am I doing? Dude. So bless you and your family. Sincerely. Yes. Um yeah, shout out to them for sure. Um, to kind of quickly say about being a survivor, I think truly that's actually a good point because you you are. I mean, you are not only a survivor of many things, I'm sure, but what you're dealing with right now, or not dealing with, but what you're what you're preserving the mm. the history of of your culture. I think is something that is like almost being a survivor in its own right. You know what I mean? You're you're presenting the story of of your culture, and I think that's something that is wonderful and i think a lot of people kind of forget about that because even even like if it's not something of that nature just like myself like i'm preserving preserving the story of my father right talking to you is preserving that story you know absolutely and yes. it goes on to that it's all about telling telling these tales of of truth and sometimes maybe a little bit of falseness but you know or stretch truths i should say uh, but for the most part you know it's all about telling your stories and i think just knowing the stories that you tell and culturally standing at least i think it's something that's truly wonderful and you know uh, to kind of even tie the connection of story even more so uh mike please tell them how you're connected to eddie yes well <laughs> funny enough um when when uncle dad here um sent me your your photo and said hey we're gonna have this gentleman on as a guest i said oh yes i know him he was my professor at sf state and he's <laughs> awesome and just to circle back to what you were saying, um, one of the questions that the question that you asked me when I actually came up to the front of the class and kind of introduced myself, you asked me, where are you from? And uh, so, yes, ah! so you, 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 That's awesome. you, walk, you walk <laughs> the words you speak, I guess is anyways. Um, yeah. And you're right. A lot of people don't just say, <laughs> I mean, they often ask like, what do you, what do, you do? Or, I don't know, but uh, yes, yeah. excellent. You know, and, and it, that could be re referred, you know, to ethnicity or even like a skater, right? Somebody with a lot of tattoos. You don't go, hey, so you in a gang? I mean, oh my goodness, just how you doing? Mm -hmm. Where are you from? Yeah, well, well, yeah, Mike, you know, you're pretty awesome too, man. I because I remember you, and it, it, if if I didn't remember you, then yeah. then you were just uh, another brick in the wall as they say but no i remember you i remember you greatly and we've talked a little bit about that so i appreciate um i appreciate having yeah, this opportunity i, I think it's great you know you don't have to, you don't have to call me mr madrill you can just be like it's hey. funny though it's kind of like uh i don't know if you watch breaking bad but but pinkman could never call walt walt he always still called him mr white and and <laughs> i have yet to really call you eddie I'm, that's I'm, funny in my mind still refer to you as mr madrill so yeah that's funny you're you're funny that's funny yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thank you very much. You know, um, sure, I may be doing some things right now. And, uh, you know, I don't want to act coy or something like that. I mean, I'm flattered that, you know, you you have me as a guest and, and believe that I've done some things and doing some things. And I am. However, you know, uh, you know, as we all know, it's it's very cliche, I guess, or it's just one of those old age, you know, age old adages where it's just like, you know, we we stand on the sholdders of others. And, you know, for American young people, you know, I, I do go out, I, I share the beauty of our culture, our cultural ways and in the most appropriate ways that I can. 
Um, you, you heard me say earlier that I'm representing myself, and it's because, unfortunately, as a small minority, I don't even want to use the word minority, as a small percentile, we are like one-tenth of one percent of the whole United States population. So as, as a full body, as a full population of Native people, now you break it into individual tribes. We're over sub, you know, 570 tribes. You know, I think right now, you know, 2021, I think there's 576, but that changes and fluctuates. I mean, this is a whole law class and history class that we can talk about. Well, why does it fluctuate? Aren't the people still there? It has to do with recognition. It's tribal. I mean, it just goes on and on. But um, my point is that throughout time and throughout history, there's been movements of people, you know, since what they would call contact um, that have been doing the exact same thing, either A, not recognized, or B, subdued and, you know, pacified, if you will. And, you know, there's also a time throughout this past hundred years where, you know, it's really cool to be Native American, and, and, but then it's not. And then it is cool, and then it's not. And so, and when I say that, I'm talking about within society, and society, you know, oftentimes influences political, you know, the political um, sector of what takes place, what access, you know, certain groups of people have. I mean, any group of people. And so for American Indian people, you know, there's been times where we were very empowered and we were able to, you know, represent ourselves in film. And then there's a time where it's just like, well, no, they're all just a bunch of this and they're a bunch of that, you know, all these negative connotations. And then we're empowered again. Oh, wow, you know, they helped out in World War II and, you know, they're poets and they're writers and they're, oh my God. They're great. And then they were like, well, yeah, but we need to move them out of the reservation and move them around the cities. Oh, well, they're not doing so well. Oh, we should, we should really expose that, you know, the, the statistics. They're, they're not doing well and they're terrible and they're, you know, they're floundering. It's like, you're the one setting us up for all these things. So it's really hard. So there's a time where you know there's something called uh, generational trauma um, and oftentimes people look at that you know the terms and go generational trauma well i don't believe in that or trauma means somebody who's going through you know all this conscious you know struggle in their mind and emotional and spiritual and all this. but generational trauma could also be something like i don't speak my language because my parents were told not to that could be one of those things where generational trauma takes place and you don't really think about it. It's almost like when people say systemic ra racism and they hear it in the past you know, year, two years, three years, they've heard systemic racism, but they don't exactly know what that means. It means oftentimes that it's there and you don't realize that you're participating. You don't realize that it's not what you think and it's not what you see because it actually has been erased. It's not there. And so when we're taking a look at cultures, um, you know, like songs, prayers, ceremonies, you know, dances, uh, languages, the elders would tell you, because they're very patient, they'll say that, well, they're not lost. They're dormant. They're in hibernation. They're sleeping. And so what I'm able to do now, I have the freedom and luxury, really, to be able to do these things in public. Whereas, you know, 40 years ago, you couldn't do the things that I was doing. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, 50 years ago, find professors in a university with long hair and wearing earrings and things like that. that that's just, no, you know, where's your bow tie? Um, so it really takes all of us, you know, all of us, every single one of us, it takes us as, as a community of human beings to really search for and, and hunger for something more and something better. So it's everybody else that's made it possible for me to do this. It's even the schools, the, 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 the teachers, the parents, the communities, um, the kids who are just like, wait, we've been told lies or we've not been told everything? Can you tell us everything? It's like, 
well, everything is really, really bad. So how about if we just say some things and we'll start there. It's kind of like the getting to know you process. So right now, I think um, here in the United States and maybe even around the world, uh, when it comes to ethnic groups, tribal groups, um, uh, sovereign nations, it's, it's, it's at a time right now where there's more desire from people that are young, such as yourselves and others who want more of truth, honesty, clarity, um, and not just so single-minded or, you know, um, honed into just being successful. When I was, you know, when I was growing up with your dad and everybody else back in the eighties, it was all about make money, be successful, have the bling, have big gold, you know, and all this other stuff. So that's what our desire was. Our desire was materialism because that's what you saw everywhere. Anyways, but I'm talking way me, too much. <laughs> there was a, something you said in there. What was it for you that caused you to go to the path of, of maybe doing the healing or like trying to step mm. out of that, get the bling, get the gold chain and like, and, and dedicate your life kind of to this work of generational ancestral healing and sharing that so that other people can understand it. Was there a moment for you that something happened? Wow, Mike, that's a good question. Um, how long is the show? <laughs> that was a very good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, um, you know, you know, one of the things I can say that happens, especially like in native communities um, where we're small, but we're, we're, we're tight, right? We're cool. You know, we, we all know each other. You go to what we call, you know, American Indian powwows, Native American powwows, Native powwows, um, which are gatherings of a lot of different tribal people to celebrate, you know, being, being Native. Uh, some people know their language and know the ceremony. Some people just found out recently that they're Native, but it's a social gathering of many different tribes to do something that's very common, you know, some of these uh, plain style dances. Um, and it's kind of a way to re-engage a little bit more social. There are what I would claim are ceremonial aspects, uh, spiritual aspects to it. It just depends on where you go, right? You go to California, you go to Oklahoma, you go to North Dakota, you go to Minnesota. I mean, they're all gonna be a little bit different, um, but you know what, we're native people, this is our way. This was our Facebook, this was our, our Twitter, this was our social media before all that existed. We came together, we socialized, but we also shared information. What are your people going through back in Utah? What are your people going through on your reservation? Um, so going to powwows, you know, while at the same time growing up with all the cholos mm. <laughs> and then at the same time wanting to go to sports and play basketball and at the same time going to you know the, the the program for nerds once you know one day a week you know doing all the you know science experiments and all the uppity math and all reading all this other stuff and then at the same time you know going to church christian church boy that's just a whirlwind and that's just in middle school so then you go into high school and you're still doing the native thing and you're learning a little bit more and you're learning a little bit more and so to answer your question i would say I didn't choose to do this. It was kind of chosen for me. Um, you know, it's kind of like you going into a job and that job turning into a career. There's people that are watching you and seeing what kind of work ethic you have, what kind of ideas you have, what kind of, uh, uh, you know, skill you have in assessing situations, right? Problem solving. And when the people are, who have power are watching you, then you move up. Well, in communities, the same way. So as I'm going through all this and I'm like, well, I want to be an architect. I want to, you know, study calculus too. And I want to take physics and I want to go study blah, blah, blah. But then there's other people going, hey, you know, we need you to go do this thing. And, you know, cultural people, ethnic people, or even just folks, wherever you go, 
you know, they're, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty clever. And they say, we just need you to do this thing. Like, oh, okay. And then you do it and you kind of like it and they don't push you. And you're just like, interesting. Okay. And then they ask you to do it again. You're like, wow, there's, there's like no tension there. And it's beautiful. And it's, I'm, I feel more prayer and spirituality there than I do in the practice of, you know, these, these rules or these things that you're supposed to do. Um, not to discredit what I was experiencing through Christianity and, and through that kind of church. It's just different. And so as I'm going through architecture, as I'm going through university, as I'm being a student, as I'm traveling and doing these things, I'm still dancing American Indian style, uh, powwow style dances. I'm still going to my reservation for ceremonies. I'm going to other reservations for their ceremony. So it just became this journey really of exposure. And through, a, through this exposure, people see you um, and they either trust you or they give you an opportunity to try that trust and you come through and it just becomes, it just happens. So what I'm doing now, I did not choose to do. I wanted that 40th floor office, you know, space doing some really cool things in my nice, you know, um, bespoke suit, bespoke, ooh, fancy word, right? Um, you know, I wanted the downtown Manhattan, the downtown San Francisco, you know, work uh, space, but also the living space. And um, through no actual moment, you start looking back as I was talking about earlier, you kind of like look back and look at that stuff and go, well, I was being schooled that, that whole time, you know, being conscious and aware of what's happening in your environment. You know, you know when you're a kid, you know, uh, doing, you know, you watch these martial arts movies and you go hang out with, you know, some guy named Israel or some guy named Ruben, maybe rest in peace. Some, you know, these other people, you do Kung Fu, right? You're just, you know, like eight years old and you're Kung Fu, but you want to be a ninja. Well, the ninja, you know, talk about, you know, being a, a master of your environment, always being conscious, always being aware, always watching what's happening, taking in information. And so I like to teach that same way. But I would say, you know, I've, I've never been into, you know, drinking, I've never been into drugs and, you know, any of that other stuff. And I would attribute not doing those things as having more of a clear mind, being able to take in stuff and interpret it and being able to say, wow, and then sharing that with somebody else. So that's where the teaching came in is taking these experiences and then giving them away and people going, well, I never thought of it that way. And you're like, well, neither did I, somebody gave it to me. So it's this transformation, this, this transference really of ideas, of experiences, of knowledge, of wisdom that just keeps going around. So while at the very beginning you said, I'm somebody who might be kind of um, honorable or special. I mean, it came from other people and you know, that's, when you take a look at American Indian ways, if that's what you want to call them, or indigenous ways, and when I say indigenous, I'm talking, for the most part, all around the world, it's a full circle. I mean, our seasons, you know, come from winter to spring, summer, fall, and then winter, where things die, and then spring, they're reborn. I mean, it's a sunset, it's a sunrise, it's a sunset. I mean, it's all circles. So when we're looking at how we, you know, develop ourselves in our, in our journeys throughout life, you know, taking just a little information every day and whether it makes sense or not, it doesn't matter. You're taking that information. And at some point there's a different level of maturity. Um, you know, when you talk about certain things maturing, not always just people, but certain things maturing, it means it's turning into something new. And that's what we should be doing. I think, I think, I imagine um, we should be turning into something new, you know, on a daily basis, on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis, um, and just growing and expanding and going, wow, so that when you become the elder and not just an older, there's a difference between olders and elders, you have something to give, you know, so it's all those experiences and knowledge that turning into wisdom 
so that you can give it to the next generation so that we have people like yourselves who are young, vibrant, putting together, you know, talk shows like this and, uh, you know, just seeing the world differently and having a conscious to say, you know, hey, where are you from? Instead of, hey, are you an Indian? You're right. Yeah, because that would have been awful if I started that way. <laughs> we would be canceled for sure. There you go. <laughs> um, there you go. So with, with first off, that was amazing. Uh, but uh, I have to ask then, when you talk about what you're doing, um, let's kind of dive into that. You, you, what you're doing, uh, you're, you are very big into it. And I'm, and I'm sorry, and I, I want to say it properly, but it's American Indian hoop dancing, correct? Oh yeah, yeah, hoop dance. Yes, yeah, yes, dance. and I know you're 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 pretty pretty known for that, correct? Oh, I guess in certain circles, <laughs> in all the right circles. <laughs> right on. Yes, hoop dance. Yes, hoop yes. Dance. So, can you kind of elaborate what the hoop dance is and what it represents uh, for our audience? Because I don't think I feel like a lot of people who listen to our show probably don't know what that is, and I think it's for a sure. beautiful thing to see. I've only seen it in YouTube and stuff like that. I've never seen it in person. I when COVID is over, sure. I would love to see it in person if you will let me come oh, check I got it out to see you. in person um, in the, oh yeah oh you classroom. did mike oh, oh tell us that story real fast yeah yeah why don't you, uh, you, you describe it well what did you, <laughs> yeah. um, what well, do you remember i probably don't remember all of what happened um, but i do remember mr madrill uh <laughs> coming to the classroom and you didn't really say much at all and which it was always interesting to hear how you were going to start kind of lecture if that's even the right word probably not but how you were going to start the class was always different which i always really enjoyed coming to the class because it was like what's today going to be like how's he going to school us today and fun. and you came in and you had your stack of hoops that were in a, i think they were in a bag of some kind you didn't say much and then um as you were talking about them you just started doing the dance while you were while you were talking and and it started with one i think and then you went into two and then they, you started going and down your legs and over your torso and all these and it was just like i, I could barely listen to what you were saying because i was so struck by the movements and the beauty of the dance and it was just like it was like watching a river flow the way you were just moving with them wow and, yeah, that's beautiful it was, man it was, it was amazing it stuck with me uh for sure so yeah wow well i'm glad you uh received that blessing is what yeah. i would call it um, yeah, i'm jealous <laughs> you know um so hoop dance you know you, you're gonna have a number of hoop dancers you know uh, today and you know 30 years ago you know the number might have been smaller and they may have done the dance just a little bit uh differently and, you know, 50 years ago would have been differently, you know, done 80 years ago would have been different. And, you know, when, when people look at Americans, you know, they look at old photographs, you know, from the 1800s, and that's the real Indian, that's the authentic Indian, right? But they don't think about, you know, evolution, you know, we keep getting told about evolution, but they don't want to see us evolve. They don't want to see us change. They want to see us very static. And so we've become that image, you know, the authentic native, the authentic Indian, Know, is the one from the 1800s from those photographs so you know that 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 dance i've been taught a lot of different things from many many people um i would say that the dance you know for the most part when done in an, an appropriate manner um especially when requested for a specific manner is usually you know 
for healing. It's a, you know, it's a healing dance. It's to heal. Um, I've been told that the dance was used a long time ago by certain um, nations, certain tribes, as only a healing dance, only to you know a healing ceremony um, when done appropriately. So it's been known as a healing ceremony dance. <clears throat> but um, you know times change, and we we uh, we change as well, and we share ideas with each other. You know, as as nations, as tribes. Um, and so now you have uh, you know hoop dance, where some people would say the the dance done in an old way. They won't say like the right way. Um, most people that I know that are hoop dancers that have good hearts that that have been taught well by their elders would say the old way is to dance with five hoops to create as much beauty as possible with the least amount as you need. So now you have a, a fascinating dance where they say, don't add a bunch of hoops, only five. If you can master the five and create more with less, then that really is the gift and the magic of life. Can you become a good human being without all the material, without you know all the possessions? Can you still make other people happy while you have very little, if anything, and so five hoops is what some people would say is the old way. You have over the past, you know, several decades, dancers that will do hoop dance with up to 30 hoops, you know, and it's still a very beautiful expression. It's just a little bit more modern. So some people will say, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, again, over 570 different tribes, different generations of people, different need for us to um, associate ourselves with our, you know, um, nativeness, if that's what you want to call it. Um, I would say that it's a storytelling dance. Um, the way I was told is you pick up each hoop one at a time um, and you add to it. There's stories that say the dance was created to build dexterity for children um, from the Southwest who would have to climb those cliffs up to their homes, like the cliff dwelling tribes. There's people that say that the, the dance was given to them uh, by you know somebody who was you know sick and prayed and was given a hoop by the creator and said, for every living thing you create with this hoop, I give you another hoop, so then you're creating. It's a story of creation in that you know you have a single cell and you add a second one and a third, and you're you know you're creating organisms and the organisms turn it into. Uh, Mike, if you recall, you may have seen different animals or flowers or birds, you know, in the dance. Um, and it's a story of creation that says when the single cell combines with others, when one person combines with others and creates community, when one you know, nation of people combines with other nations, what you create at the very end is the, the sphere, which could represent the world, which could represent the universe. So the dance as interpretation visually um, could be a storytelling dance. It could be a science dance. Uh, it could be biology. It could, you know, be all those things. Um, and then spiritually, um, it's a healing. It's telling the story of the origin. And for many tribes, for many nations, many of the healing ceremonies that take place, the healing ceremonies through dance, through action, um, through what is used, um, the procession of how these things take place, and also the words that are given or the words that are in songs. Usually, quite often, we'll talk about origin, the origin story of the people. Um, and so what you have in this dance is reminding somebody who might be sick, let's just say, for example, if it's a healing ceremony dance, um, reminding somebody who is sick that they're not alone. And when I say sick, it's not always like some kind of physical ailment. It could be a spiritual, it could be, um, you know, a mental ailment. You know, somebody's alone, somebody feels empty, somebody feels 
you know, scared, somebody feels, you know, anxious, you know, whatever it may be, you remind each other that we're part of a community. That single hoop moving to others creates a world, creates solidarity, creates a sphere. It's no longer this flat piece of, you know, circle. It's combined and through the complexities, through the hardship of putting this thing together to create something, you create beauty. And so as an individual, you're going to go through in your travels, all kinds of complexities, all kinds of trials, tribulations, strife, struggle. And if you continue to do so, remembering that there's a balance of life, that there is a sunset and a sunrise, that there is the winter and the spring, that you are an individual combined with other people. And then even more so if you remind yourself that there isn't just 360 degrees around you, but you are in a world that has something above and below there's living things around you, above you, below you. When you remind yourself that there is a past and a future and they're all combined, all of that mm. is hoop dance. That's and that's beautiful. the healing. That's what and it gives you know, to our, people. In the, in the culture, wow. it, it's such an isolating culture that we live in. And so, you know, like you work your job, you go home, everyone's, you know, you, we're separated, you know, we don't live in the same kind of in general, people, you know, they have their houses in the suburbs, they live in apartments, which are little compartments stacked on top of each other. And that's such a different way of thinking about all of us as one. And, and it's just beautiful. And I, and I, I wish and hope that more people could see your dancing, which brings me to this question, which I know a lot of people did get to see you doing the dancing. Because um, you went on tour with a pretty, pretty big music producer dj mr carmack right and and you got to do the hoop dance yes, on, on stage yes. at some pretty big venues like coachella i know you mentioned before but what's that like sharing the hoop dance with yeah you know i don't know how many people are there thousands of people like do you feel the impact i think they they gave us a they gave us a count that it was twenty thousand at coachella and then yeah we went on to some other places um Lollapalooza and, and others. Um, you know, you, you're asking one question, but I should answer it to two questions. And I'll answer your question first. What is it like? Holy moly, man. Mm. You, you, <laughs> you're at a venue like Coachella, you know, yeah. where people, you know, as musical artists would love to, you know, maybe be recognized there as the first time or your first time. You're, wait, you played where? I mean, if you're seasoned and you've been around for a couple of decades, like, you want to do Coachella? Nah, I got something better to do. But when you're first time, yeah. you know, you're like, whoa, I can't believe. And so, you know, you're, you have this one DJ, this young man, uh, Mr. Carmack, um, playing in one of the, the big tents, the, you know, and they said that there's 20,000 people. I don't know if that's true, but that's, that, that's, that was the count that they gave us. And I'm dancing solo, one. Two, I'm doing native dance. Well, I'm going to backtrack as to why I did it in a second, but I'm going to answer your question first respectfully, which is, you know, you go out in front of the stage and the crowd just goes wild. You can't help but just, I mean, I wish people could see my face right now, but you can't help but just go, what is this? I'm standing here. They're going nuts. Wow. I have no, I don't know what I'm thinking. What I should be thinking right now is continue doing what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> supposed to be dancing. So do that, you know, listen to the music. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal experience. Um, what you might be asking, and I'm not too sure, so forgive me for um, assuming, you know, what is that like doing native 
pseudo traditional dance on stage at something like, you know, like there. Um, so what I would say is, you know, that that was a journey in itself. Um, it's a long story. So I'm going to try and give you like the short, you know, summarized version, which is, you know, I've known Mr. Carmack and his family, you know, since he was like eight. Um, I wrote plays uh, at that same time and I had a play where he was in it. And um, the, the, the play was like a 15 minute play. It was at, held outside at the uh, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts out in the gardens. And the, the little mini 15 minute story was that he was a boy, his, you know, who's native and his parents, you know, wanted him to go to this powwow. And he's like, nah, I don't want to. And they took him anyway. And he sees this girl who's dance and, you know, she's wearing her regalia, right? Her dance um, regalia, her dance outfit. And he's kind of wooed by her. And then he says, well, I want to dance now. So they give him to his uncle to teach him how to dance. And the uncle's like, you want to dance at powwows? Well, the first six months, you better learn about American Indians in general first. You don't just start dancing because you want to dance. In the next six months, you know, and this is all in the, you know, the, the, the dialogue or the, the voiceover. And I think we had a storybook, like this big giant storybook on stage out there. And the next six months, you better learn about your tribe. Don't, you don't just start dancing when you start dancing and people ask you a question, you know, like, I don't know, I'm just an Indian dancing at powwows. I mean, what, you know? So the next six months, he's supposed to learn about his tribe. And then after that, once he spent a year learning about native people, learning about his tribe, his nation, then he goes on to learning about dance and that, that's just the whole journey in itself. So, you know, flash, you know, forward uh, way later, like, I don't know, what is it, close to 15, almost 20 years later, this young man, Mr. Carmack, calls me and he says, hey, uncle, you know, would you dance? And I'm like, well, for you, you know, for your family, of course, you know, because Mr. Carmack's native. And uh, he, he says, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm asking you to dance and we're going to do it at Coachella. Well, we're on the phone and he didn't see my face, but I'm like, no, there's no way I'm dancing at Coachella. Do you know what happens at, you know, music festivals, all this cultural appropriation, people showing up with all this stuff. So, you know, that, that reaction wasn't a thought process. It was just a reaction. My answer was no, I'm not putting myself as a native Indian on stage in front of a bunch of people, you know, all who might have indulged in certain mind altering things. You know, I'm not going to do that. You know, what I do is spiritual to me. What I do is prayer to me. Um, and then I asked him, well, you know, I had to think back. Don't be reactionary. Why? Why are you asking me this question? And he gave me a very good answer, which I think is private between he and I. But his answer basically was, was I mean, essentially, um, this is who I am. I'm not going to, you know, hide behind that and, you know, here we are at this big place. Why not? Those aren't his words. So don't, don't, don't think that that's what he said. But essentially, that's kind of what he said. And to tell you the honest truth, it was basically the same thing that was in the play close to 20 years prior. Somebody wanting to be something, but not exactly sure and having to learn through the process of what is, you know, this journey of identity. So that's exactly what it was. So it was kind of, you know, is it had already been planned, you know, 15, 20 years before. And, you know, I, I told him, yes, in my heart, that's what I was supposed to do because he asked and it was for the right reasons. Now, mentally, academically, intellectually, I had to like convince myself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? So I had to like kind of come up with the, you know, validation, you know, like, you know, not validation. I had to come up with a, a valid reason as why I'm going to do this because now I'm going to represent other native people, whether I like it or not. There was an authentic Indian on stage at Coachella, so it must be okay. 
and it's not. So now I had to come up with how do I do that without offending, first of all, but second, how do I do that without representing all American Indian people? And so, you know, I thought about it and thought about it. And so what I made was an outfit, uh, a dance, you know, outfit, a dance regalia to specific dances that if you looked at it piece by piece, it is what you would find at native powwows. But if you looked at the way it was, the image of it, it was nothing like powwows. So it was right at that balance point, that fulcrum point, if you will, that apex of what well, is, but it isn't traditional. It is and it isn't very, very native. It is and it isn't a good thing to do. I mean, it was neither and it was both. And it, so it was, a, it was a balancing act. Um, and the other thing that took place is I had asked this elder who is not American Indian, he's from a, a different ethnicity. I told him, hey, yeah, I'm doing this thing. I don't know. And he was an old man. He goes, well, Eddie, music festivals like that are basically like church. And I went, wait, what? Of course, he's an elder, so I didn't act like that. I was just like, mm, mm-hmm. You keep your mouth shut and you keep your ears open. So I was like, uh-huh. And he goes, it's a place for young people to go to congregate, to be with other people just like them and to feel good. And isn't that what church is about? Church is about people congregating and feeling good about who they are, finding other people that are just like them and feeling good and feeling enlightened. And he goes, so what you're doing, if you do this, it's kind of like church. And I was like, I would have never thought of it that way. I don't know if I'm completely convinced, but it has me thinking about what they might not even know they're doing when they're going to these music festivals. They might not even know that that's what they're doing. And, uh, and maybe that's what it's all about. And you know, we don't always have the answers. You know, it's kind of like the same thing about American Indian Native American. Who, who knows the, what, which one is the right one? And from my perspective, nobody. There's people that would argue, no, 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 the, the, this one's the right one. Okay, that's, that's the right one for today then, for you. Cool. I'm not going to argue. Let's go get some ice cream. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to argue. What, what, what am I going to argue about? It's like me arguing with you. You know, If I asked you what your favorite color is and you said blue, I'm like, no, it's not. That doesn't make any sense. Right. So why are we going to argue? Right. Um, and so that's what, that's what that whole thing was about, going on tour with Mr. Carmack. And uh, yeah, coast to coast, all Southern California. And it was amazing. And I'm still confused <laughs> as whether or not I'm supposed to do it. Is there yeah. a place where our audience can watch any of this at or no? Nope. No. I tried. Just to I tried. Oh, yeah? I could not find. The closest thing I found was like a picture of you on someone's reel that they of photos they took from the event. Um, I, I have I have images. I have still images. Um, you know, some of those were done through Getty. Um, some of them, I, you know, were through Aaron's, uh, Mr. Carmack's friends. So I have images of those, but I don't have a right to share them. Right, um, right. But you can find them. If you really dug deep, you can find them. If you went to Aaron Carmack's, uh, uh, Mr. Carmack's Facebook page, and you were to dig way back into like the winter of 2016. Yeah. I'm, I'm letting you know, <laughs> you can't find it anywhere. But if you go to Mr. Carmack, Facebook, uh, somewhere like December of 2016, you'll find mm. videos of us on stage dancing it. And uh, they're pretty tight. I'm not going to lie. They're pretty tight. I'm I don't know if I'm really good, but they made me look good. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love to see that if I could one day, because uh, that just sounds like a... An incredible it's experience. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's great to know that you're continuing these, the, these traditions and, and then, you know, preserving your culture and 
just you you have such a long storied life and I, I we could sit here and talk about it forever i'm sure uh, and i'm sure mike agrees with that there's just so much that you have to say but i, I wanted to kind of ask now i am not a hundred percent on i'm not i don't know a hundred percent everything about this before i ask so okay i just kind of want you if you can clarify for my okay. for me and our audience um I was under the impression that during the height of COVID that the American Indians were not taken care of properly on their land. Now, are you aware of that or do you have an opinion on that or anything like that? I just kind of want to talk about that if that's okay. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. We're ready for class. Let's do it. Uh, (laughs) So here's what needs to be understood and known. Okay, so I already said there's over 570 tribes. Yes. So let's just stick with that. There's 570 tribes. Each, ti- each tribe who is a, a tribe, quote unquote, has been, has been recognized by the federal government. They're a federally recognized uh, entity, a federally recognized nation. They're a tribe, which means that the federal government has put together a criteria, seven criteria that you must meet in order to be a federally recognized tribe. Now, some of those things stem from the mid-1800s. Even before that, many tribes were considered nations because it's even mentioned you know, um, in uh, the, dec- um, the, uh, the Constitution in the ways that the federal government, this new federal government you know, in you know, 1876, uh, 1776 and, and so forth, uh, needed to deal with these entities who were already recognized as nations, as international entities uh, by the countries, the French, you know, the Spanish, the Dutch, uh, and so forth. So going into now, what you have is these different tribes who are not, you know, they're not one entity. So when people say, well, you know, why, why couldn't all the tribes just kind of band together and fight for, you know, such and such? Well, each tribe has its own relationship with the federal government. Each tribe has a different treaty. Uh, most tribes have treaties, not all of them. Um, you know, each one has had to deal with different things as far as land, land management. Um, some tribes have reservations, rancherias up in Canada reserves um, that are part of their home base, you know, for thousands of years. Some tribes have a reservations, you know, have a reservation that's a thousand miles away from their home base, which means now they have this land, but it doesn't provide them with all of their, um, you know, food, clothing, shelter, medicines, diets, uh, spirituality, where their ancestors are buried. Um, if that's the process that they use for those who have passed. So every everyone is very different. But the main thing to answer your question is each tribe who has a reservation, let's say, according to, you know, what we will call like the Marshall Trilogy laws of 1823, 31, and 32, they say that the land that Indian people have is their land, it's their reservation, but they only have a right to occupy in these same Marshall Trilogy laws of the early 1800s, it also says that we're a domestic dependent nation. Now, what happens is that you have some Congress people who will still use that very antiquated language to say, well, they're domestic dependents. You know, they, they, you know, they rely on us. You know, we are the ones who provide for them. That land isn't their land. And so when you have that, what that means is well, if it's not exactly our land, we have a right to occupy. That means the federal government through what's called plenary power can make a decision to do anything they want anytime they want. So that's why what most people don't know is that's when you have toxic dumping or nuclear waste. It happens on reservation land. Really? 
and most people don't know I that. I did not, never, never knew that. So now what happens is through, again, this is a very complex um, uh, situation in, in, in all the different reservations and how this happens, but when reservations, you know, may have like, let's say uh, something like an annuity where, you know, every tribal member at 18 years old might get some amount of money or something. What people don't know is when they say, well, these Indians on these reservations, I live in this such and such state and there's an Indian tribe there. And, you know, these Indians get free money all the time. You know, they're 18 year old, they get this money. It's like, well, one, I don't know if it's free when what they might be getting paid for is rent from the rest of the United States that isn't theirs anymore. That's a very sarcastic me saying that that's not the way I really feel. But when people say things like that, it makes you react, you know, emotionally. So when people say, well, they get free money, it's like, well, let's see, the size of our reservation is this, and the rest of the nation that doesn't belong to us anymore is this. I mean, that's pretty unequal. The second thing is what people don't know is a lot of times what the federal government's paying for is not, isn't just giving free money. What they're paying for is all the land that was theirs, but they got taken away through treaties or uh, the neglect of the treaties. The other thing they could be paying for is the... Um, the ore that's being taken out, so coal, you know, different mining, uh, different forestry, uh, different water rights that were taken, you know, so like here in California, there's like a thousand dams that were built here in California. People don't know that there's a thousand dams and a lot of those really affect the native tribes, uh, native nations here in California. So <clears throat> all that being said, um, when it comes to COVID, what happens is when the, the nation says, well, here we have the United States of America. We have 50 states, so we're going to all work together and we're going to work as a federal government to provide for our people. In those Marshall Trilogy laws, still, there's a separation in jurisdiction between the reservation and the state. So whereas there's a, res, you know, a rancheria or reserve or reservation here in California, they can do what they want and there's no jurisdiction between the state and them or in Arizona. And so the state has no responsibility or obligation to help a tribe and the federal government when they choose to not say that they're uh, domestic dependents they can choose to say well you're also a sovereign nation so you're kind of on your own you you said you wanted to be your own nation you say you want to be your own people you say that you don't want jurisdiction um you know imposed by the state you want to be your own people to rise and do your own thing so here's your opportunity and so that's when I say throughout history, when there's like a, yeah, it's cool. It's not cool. It's cool. It's not cool. It happens the same way with how um, a federal government wants to work with the tribes. The states really have no responsibility, relationship, obligation to, to tribes. There's totally separate entities. Um, and that's why when some tribes like here in California, back in, you know, like the 80s, 90s, uh, started getting gambling um, and the state of California is like, wait, we're a non-gambling state and we're going to go ahead and tax them. They can't do that. Well, they're a sovereign nation. They're 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 a separate entity, so there is no. They can't do anything. They can't sue each other. They have to go to the federal government. The federal government's like, well, you're two different groups of people. So, and so when it came to COVID, um, just imagine that each tribe is a sovereign nation, which means they're supposed to govern themselves and manage themselves. But when a tribe is a sovereign nation, they have no resources. They they don't build or make or sell anything from their land because. They've been given, in most cases, really bad land that they can't grow anything or do anything, and it's not part of their lifestyle. You know, Indians didn't have cows before the Spanish brought them. Well, they're kind of just sitting there, stuck, doing nothing, and can't really fend for themselves. So, uh, medical services on reservations is, you know, was really, really bad. has has been very bad. So, it's the people themselves trying to build those things up.
Now, really quickly, is there a place where anyone can donate money, do you know, to help this situation out? Well, that's not the right question to ask, my friend. Okay, what is the right <laughs> question then, please? How can we help? There's nothing to do now. Um, the, you know, there's a couple of things. It's kind of like, you know, when you're walking through a city and you see like a, somebody who's, um, you know, in need, maybe homeless or have other needs, if you offer them help, how do you know that they want help? How do you know what kind of help they want? How do you know what kind of help they need? They may not even know what kind of help they need. They may want nothing to do with you. I mean, you know, it gets really complex. So when you, when you ask somebody, hey, you know, can I buy you a sandwich? They're like, I don't need a sandwich. I don't need that. I need, you know, there's also medical implications as to, you know, some people who actually have a drug dependency. And you may already know these things where somebody has gone that path of, of, of drug abuse um, where they actually kind of need that drug in order to stay alive. So when it comes to um, a, a group of people, you, you, you kind of just want to be informed as much as possibly to be aware, to be culturally competent about a group of people and, and then learn from them what they could use. Sometimes it's just awareness. Sometimes, I mean, just this right now, you are already becoming, I don't want to say an activist, but you already are active in that, that help. You're already helping by bringing people awareness of a group of people that are so marginalized. And, you know, even if we yelled at the top of our lungs, we're not going to get a whole lot of change all the time because we're one-tenth of one percent of the whole population. So when it comes to voting, and they say that majority rules, well, we're always going to lose, right? Yeah. Mathematically speaking. So what you're doing already is, you know, great. This is leaps and bounds. You know, what ended up happening is tribe said, okay, we're going to do what we're going to do. We have sovereign, we have sovereignty, we have sovereign rights to govern ourselves and manage. Then now what you find since the, um, since the COVID uh, uh, vaccines, when the, when the, when, when the vaccines uh, started getting distributed, there's a lot of you know, up and down of who could, who couldn't, how long you had to wait. And if you look on certain news sources across this country that you respect, because um, we have to say that, I guess, nowadays, um, if you go to certain news sources that have actually done some investigating, they'll tell you that American people have actually done a phenomenal job at the distribution of vaccines um, way better as models that federal governments and other state governments are going, wait, what are you guys doing? We wanna do what you guys are doing. So in taking care of the people is that hoop dance. Take care of the people, take care of the human in each other, not you know what your importance is, how much you make, what your role is. I mean, the human yeah. being, you know, the wisdom keepers, the people that are gonna help us remain continuing on this earth because we can annihilate ourselves ourselves really, really quick through ignorance and through selfishness. Um, it's when we combine, you know, our hearts and our minds with the best wisdom and knowledge that we can. And so that's my answer to, you know, uh, COVID on reservations. Yeah, it ran rampant because the first thing, you know, to really answer your question now, the reason why it went rampant is because reservations weren't getting information fast enough. Nobody was giving them the information it's like, well, you're your sovereign nation. We're going to give it to everybody else. We can give it to you, but it's really hard. It's difficult because your people, blah. I mean, it, got, it, it, get, it gets complex. I mean, I don't want to say that there's people out there that, that are ill-willed and have excuses, but um, pretty easy and convenient to use those excuses. Wow, that was very informative. And I really appreciate taking the time to educate me, uh, Mike, and our, uh, and our audience for that. So thank you. You, you bet, absolutely. Well, yeah, because you don't really, I mean, I don't know what news news you watch but like i don't 
really hear anything about hardly at all about what's going on other than it's it's all bad in the in the native mm-hmm. uh american groups with covid you know it just i don't you just don't hear much of anything right well i mean there's i mean i i, I was teaching this uh you know, i would teach a couple of different i'm actually i've taught a lot of different classes um but you know you watch it's kind of like that static that static image of the indian the authentic indian is the one that has you know the dark skin the long braids is on a horse that's the authentic indian when you see this guy wearing a suit and crew cut hair you know has glasses you know is, you know styling um it's like well that's not a real indian that's a sellout it's like wow mm. wow you you wow that's that's a pretty big judgment call on, on your part you, you needed the old you needed the real and so when it comes to that static image it also sells very well for you know lots of media uh and, and just the the um the stereotype that we're all kind of used to and that makes sense when you're used to a stereotype that's what makes sense you don't want something new i mean when they said that pluto is no longer a planet i mean the amount of people that were going wait what wait 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 what that's not you can't tell me that it's always been what are you talking about um and so when it comes to american people it's way easier to to sell and when i say sell it kind of equates to prove that indian people are oh they're so desolate and oh they're so oh you know we should feel sorry for them and when you're always going to feel sorry for us well then we're always going to be you know, the submissive mm. child. We're always going to be the kid that you have to take care of. Oh, I wish they could be like us. I wish they could have us. Well, maybe watch more of our movies because our movies are funny. We have lots of people who are doctors and lawyers. As a matter of fact, in 1830, and even before 1830, when Andrew Jackson signed that thing that said, let's remove all the Southeast Indians over to Oklahoma, there was more Cherokee people who could read and write English than Americans at that time. And when Andrew Jackson was doing this whole removal thing, everybody goes, oh, the Cherokee Trail of Tears, all these Cherokee people, there so, and you see the paintings of them, oh, in the winter, and they're all moving. There was Cherokee people and a lot of other people along the Eastern seaboard who were ambassadors, who were diplomats, who were lawyers, who were going to the White House all the time, who were traveling to other countries, who spoke five different languages. But we can't fathom that because we've been told all of our life that the Indian is the poor Indian, the drunk Indian, the, um, we have to, you know, we have to feel sorry for them. And, oh, I didn't know all these bad things happened to them. We can do some pretty cool things. And we have, it's just that again, we're one-tenth of 1% of the whole population as native people. And then you break that down in each tribe. Some tribes might have 200,000 members. Some tribes might have only 500 members. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's way too hard to fathom some of these things. So, what we're used to hearing and what we're used to believing is the poor Indian. They don't have this, you know, they don't have that. Um, so the news that sells to you, to the rest of us is things are not going so well for them and things are not going so well for them, but that's been the same thing on the newspapers and headlines for 150 years, well, you know, literally 150 it, years. It almost keeps that, that you disempowered, right? It just keeps that same feeling and, and, and everyone thinking that same thing. And it's like, you don't want to show anything else because we want this to be the same storyline, right? Mm. And if it's the same storyline, we can help them. We've been trying for 200 years to help mm. them. Exactly. You know, you mentioned Cherokee and I'm an eighth Cherokee. I have eighth blood Cherokee in me and I'm also an artist and I happen to really enjoy Native American artwork. And, mm. and but, you know, you look at me, I, I look white. Um, and and this is one of those things where I feel like on the on the edge and 
I just want to get your perspective. Not that I'm like looking at you to tell me what to do, but I love your perspective on things. And, and where's the, where's the balance? Where do you see like a balance between appropriation and appreciation for someone like me who, who really feels called and connected to the native American artwork and just the way of life overall. And, and like, if I wanted to do a piece that was, that was kind of rooted in maybe Cherokee artwork or other native American artwork, I wouldn't want to appropriate it, you know, and, and like, like I want to make money off of it, but just what, what, where, what's your perspective on that line for, for an artist? Like what, what would, I'm interested to hear what your, your point of view on that. Well, thank you for asking my point of view. I don't know if it's going to be the right <laughs> no. one because I'm only one out of a couple of million native people. Exactly. Here's the thing, you know, as an artist, you know, even from like surrealism and Dadaism, you know, as artists, you know, we talk about ourselves and the struggle, you know, you have a, a Magritte painting where this guy in a suit has a derby, you know, a bowler hat with an apple in front of his face. You're like, I don't know what that means. It's profound when you understand what that really means because it represents him and his upbringing, his childhood. So as an artist, you express yourself in the honesty, the confusion, the anger, the angst, the, the pride, you know, the pride, the, the not knowing, you know, all that distortion or completion is what you do as an artist. When you're waiting for to, to see if, if it's going to be okay, then you're waiting for the audience and now you're performing your art and not expressing your art. That's what I would say. So if you're an artist, be an artist. Do your art. How other people take it is open for you know collaboration in the conversation, right? You can have dialogue about it. It's like, hey, you know, this looks like it's appropriation. You're like, oh, okay, cool, right on. Um, let's talk about it. This looks like really authentic and I'm so proud that you're proud of your nativeness. Okay, I don't know if I'm proud yet. I mean, I'm figuring it out. I mean, that's your honesty and art should express the honesty. And that's why when it's honest, it becomes kind of like a danger and a threat to many people because they don't want the honest. They don't want the profound, you know, and that's why many leaders around the world for hundreds of years, when they want complete power, they usually do away with the academics and the artists because they're so influential. And so, that's what I would say on that for you. As far as native art, you know, recently I heard something, you know, from some people just like, you know, we're, we're so tired of the appropriation. We're so tired of people just stealing our ideas. And you know, I mean, I, you see it. I've seen it at New York Fashion Week where somebody from some English, you know, British, you know, brand did something that was exactly the same design that was already done two years prior that was by a native woman. And it was a total native like personal thing. It's like, wait, you just took my last name and put it on something and sold it at New York Fashion Week. You don't do that, you know? And I'm not saying literally a last name, but you know, when you take a, a tribal design, that's a tribe's design and you stay away from that. And sometimes even a clan design or a family design, you stay and people just do it. So I just read recently, or what I've, I've, I've caught on to recently and when it comes to that stuff is there's a difference between native inspired and inspired native. Mm. If you can buy or support or acknowledge the inspired native, which might be which might be you, then that's what I'm going to support. Native inspired sounds appropriation. Well, I'm doing it because it was really inspiring to me when I saw this native thing. Well, that's not your story. You're doing a paint by numbers. You're you're taking something that already exists and calling it your own. That's that's not art. That's 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 not i don't want to use a appropriation that's just not art that's just not pure so you're not really an artist so when you share your honesty that's that's you as an artist 
um, if anybody were to say, well, you're cultural appropriating, go, okay. And you don't have to say anything more. It's kind of like, where are you from? It's up to them to decide whether they want to argue with you. And then when they argue with you, just go, okay, yeah, well, you're an artist too. You're giving me your opinion. Right on. I heard you. You know, and you might learn something from it. You might not. But if you're an artist, you have to be open to the opinion. I mean, when I went out into Coachella in front of 20,000 people as a native Indian dancer for a DJ doing trap music, they could have all went, what the heck is that? And just booed and went like, no, or threw stuff in like cultural appropriation. Oh my God, Mr. Carmack selling out, you know, whatever it is. But you do it because that's your honesty. Um, and nobody ever asked what that was. And I told Mr. Carmack, I'm like, I call him Aaron because he's, I call him my nephew. Um, I said, uh, until somebody really asks the right questions, you don't have to answer. You don't have to answer. You know, you just don't, you know? Um, there has to be a lot of things, you know, combined in play, you know, for you to have to answer that question. So that's the best way I can kind of answer that. I hope that's of some value, but that's the best way. That was, no, that was incredibly valuable. I would say, we, we, did I answer your question, Mike? My, my, microphone, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it does. It, and thanks. I, I Like I said, I, I, I know that's your answer, but I feel like I, at this point, I value a lot of your answers that they really resonate. So yeah, Agreed. thanks for that. Yeah. So Eddie, we do have to wrap up, wrap up the show, but one thing we do here on the show, and I do it more or less every time, is I usually ask our guest, whoever it may be, what comic book they would recommend. Now, you're, I don't think you're a comic book reader. I mean, you mean graphic fine. novels? Totally fine. <laughs> sure, I mean. <laughs> but if, if there's anything to keep it in the theme of uh, American Indian uh, studies, or I guess American Indian culture, I should say, is there any piece of media that you would recommend our audience to watch or listen or or read uh, one piece of media. Oh man. If a lot of your audience is into, you know, graphic novels and things like that, there's one that I would say is probably controversial because of, you know, who's writing it and who's drawing it, who's doing the, you know, the, the artwork, but there was a comics uh, series, a graphic novel series that came out some years ago. And I was like, what the heck is that? And I bought it. And I was intrigued because it's a, it's a point of conversation, not necessarily that you have to buy into it being like a, a, a true representation, but there's a graphic novel series that came out that was called Scalped. Scalped. Mm -hmm. I read that. Yeah. Scalped. And it's interesting. So I would say that, you know, if you're native or non-native, if you're well-versed in native history and culture, if you're not at all, there's something that can be offered there. It just depends on how much you know. If you're an insider and you know a lot of stuff, then you're looking at this going, whoa, they're referring to some things that are pretty heavy that they're not explicitly saying. You just know that that's what they're talking about, but they're not saying it. Um, so it's pretty interesting. If you're not well-versed and you're just like, wait, are any people like this? I mean, it just represents people as people. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's, kind of a common story, you know, storyline, if you will, the whole series. But at the same time, they bring out certain aspects of, of tribal life and res life that maybe not a lot of people know. Some people on reservations are like, we don't want that kind of stuff to be representing us. But, you know, as Depeche Mode taught me once, people are people. <laughs> and, you know, some people are cool, some people are not. And uh, that comes with, you know, with, with every group of people. So that would be my, my, my one-liner uh, answer to your question. Otherwise, we'd have another 20-minute conversation. Uh, now that, that, that's uh, scalped uh, by uh, Jason Aaron, correct? 
Correct. Okay, cool. That's uh, you can get that from uh, Vertigo Comics. I'm pretty sure there's probably a, a trade for that. Um, yep. But Eddie, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with us, educating us. Today was all about education, and I love it because <laughs> you know our episodes. What's what I love about our show is that each episode has, it has it's almost like its own little universe, but all these universes tie in with me and Mike traveling these universes together, and we just kind of connect these stories through our our adventures, if you will. And it's it's just nice. Now you know we have the chapter of. Of, of American Indian education. And I think it's beautiful. And I would love to have you on again and talk more detailed into other stuff. Uh, one thing that we're working on, and I, I've been saying this for a while, but we're getting closer and closer to it, is that um, to celebrate our one year anniversary, we are going to attempt to break the world record for the longest single recording podcast. So when we do that, uh, Mike, how many hours are we shooting for? 72. 72 hours. Um, if we do that, we'll be in the Guinness Book of World Records. We will definitely would love to have you back on for that if you're open to it. I could, I could talk for 72 hours. <laughs> oh, please, please. <laughs> I'm sure you want multiple guests, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd, be, I'd be honored and flattered to be a part of that. Yes, sure. to be a part of that uh, uh, momentous occasion for us. But Eddie, thank you so much. And before we wrap up, I do have to ask you, where can our audience find you to connect with you in any way? This is going to sound like it's coming from ego, but it just depends on who your audience is and you know what what they're what they're looking for. So I would say you know Google search me, uh, go Eddie Madrill. Um, also go you know Sewam Dance S E W A M Sewam Dance. So do you know Sewam Dance? You could do YouTube uh, search of Eddie Madrill or Sewam Dance. Um, go those routes, and if you really need to get in contact with me for some reason, you'll find me. <laughs> somehow some way i love that uh, you'll find me <laughs> come find him you know because i mean you know you 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 do a lot of things and um sometimes people just want to do the whole you know and and bless them you know bless them all but sometimes they just want to be like i just want to talk to an indian i mean they they don't say it that way but you can, you can start to kind of feel the vibe when you're interpreting the vibe and where they're going like Ooh, I was, you know, I kind of didn't want to do that. I mean, you know, so if, if, you know, if people are cool, then people are cool. And, you know, maybe you're just like, man, this guy talks forever. I don't want to talk to him. I'll just watch the videos and look at some website kind of stuff. And that's good enough. So, um, yeah, search Eddie Madrill or, uh, say dance. And, uh, yeah, that, that'll, I'll probably give you some, some good stuff. Awesome. Um, or just, or just have to turn, or they're just going to have to tune into your next, uh, you know, your next uh, interview with me. And then we'll, they can just, have to wait for that. Oh, yes. that mm. Yeah. And actually, that might be a good one because that's going to be 72 hours. So, <laughs> uh, Mike, you have right. any last words? Or they can, if they live in the Bay Area, they can check them out on KFPA. Is that right? KFPA? Right? KPFA. KPFA. Uh, KP, Excuse me. Yeah, KPFA FM, uh, Wednesday night, 7 to 8. Every once in a while, there's many of us who host the radio program called Bay Native Circle. So if you just want to hear some Bay Native Circle um, shows from 7 to 8 every Wednesday, there's different hosts and there's different talks, different interviews, different, you can hear a lot of American Indian music. And each of us hosts play different styles of music or we play an array of different music. So you hear, you might hear some American Indian hip hop, American Indian jazz, some American Indian traditional old style, you know, prayer songs. I mean, all kinds of different stuff. I mean, I tend to play all kinds of different things. So they play any uh, tribe called Red. Absolutely. Yeah, love that stuff. <laughs> like, that stuff's hard. Yeah, yeah cool. Absolutely, sure. You bet. Yeah. Uh, yes, Mike. Any last words? Those are my last words. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, Eddie, thank you again. And uh, thank, thank you for you joining guys. us. Uh, everybody out there is always uh, love each other, respect each other. And we'll see you all next week.